listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage Podcast, the podcast designed to help you save your marriage, no matter where it is. Sometimes we talk about the mindsets that have you stuck. Sometimes we talk about the techniques of how to get unstuck. And sometimes we talk about what the real nature of this problem is, why we get into trouble in marriages. Why is it that we're still at almost a coin toss in determining whether a marriage is going to make it or not, statistically speaking. Now, that doesn't speak to your situation. You aren't faced with just the randomness of a coin toss. There are things you can do to make sure that your marriage is moving in the direction you want to, no matter where it's been, no matter if your spouse is already beginning to check out or even tells you they've checked out. What I've discovered is there are some ways that you can move forward. The most powerful way, obviously, is if both people are moving forward together. But the second best option is when one person decides to move forward in spite of where a spouse is. Now, one of the things I've observed is that sometimes people get focused on the wrong things when they're trying to save a relationship. And So as I hear those, I notice they fall into really three different categories that you want to think about. I notice the focus during the midst of a crisis tends to be on the symptoms, the self, or the struggle. And those aren't where we want to put our attention. We want to put our attention on three other areas. So let's talk through the places where people do get stuck. The first one is symptoms. Uh, Over the past week, I've talked with several people who named off the symptoms, and they said, this is what's wrong with my marriage. One was because of an affair. A spouse was involved in an affair, and they said, that's what's wrong with our relationship. Another tried to tell me that it was all about their communication, that their problem, the symptom was they couldn't communicate together. They couldn't sit and have a good conversation because of all the anger that would erupt, no matter what they talked about. Devolved and unfolded into an argument. And so, in the process of that, they found it frustrating to even try to have a conversation. And in the devolving pattern of conflict, they felt like the real issue was communication. That wasn't the case, though. That's a symptom of the case. I talked with another person who just said that over the years, they've just grown stagnant, bored with each other, and now they don't know what to do because now the kids are leaving uh, for their own lives and growing up just like kids are supposed to do. There's just nothing left. And she said, you know, I just think that we've grown apart. Now, grown apart is one of those symptoms that we often hear. So let's just think through the symptoms I just talked about, the symptom of infidelity, the symptom of communication skills, and the symptom of grown apart. Those are three big places that people look to and say, that's the problem. But those are symptoms of an underlying issue. Now, another symptom is the self. What I mean by that is in the midst of a marriage crisis, sometimes people get focused on the self. What, what do I want out of this? And so they'll say to a spouse, to a spouse, you can't leave me. You have to stay. It's not fair what you're doing. I don't want to be left alone, right? How dare you do that to us? 
Now notice that all of those are self-referenced. It's what I'm going to lose. It's natural for us to do that. But in the midst of a struggle, it's the last thing a spouse wants to hear about. Imagine if everything you're conveying is about what you want out of the relationship or what you don't want to lose from a fractured relationship. There's not a lot there that sounds very enticing to a spouse who is also stuck in self mode. You see, the symptom of focusing on the self, the, the focus on the self comes from a place of loss of the connection, of loss of the sense of being in it together. So when you're saying, you can't take this from me, or you need to give me this, the fracture gets deeper because the spouse is thinking the exact same thing. You're not loving me the way I want to be loved is when we start focusing on self. You need to give me what I want is a focus on the self. And then there is another place where we often see the the focus, and that's in struggle. Couples start looking at only the places where they're struggling. And so I often hear people say, you know, if it was meant to be, it shouldn't be this hard. We shouldn't be fighting. We shouldn't be struggling. Many times they get so focused on the struggle that they don't see all of the times when they are not in a place of that struggle. One of the places that the focus on the struggle comes out is when I hear people say, we have nothing in common. After all these years, we have nothing in common. We, we only have the struggle. Now, nothing in common is interesting to me. Uh, just the other day, I was talking with a couple who had been married for 20 years and told me that they had nothing in common anymore. And I said, you have a big house together, right? And they said, yes. And I said, and y'all have investments and resources that are together, right? And they said, oh, yes. And I said, and y'all, y'all have several kids together, right? And they said, yes, yes. And I said, and y'all have gone on multiple vacations. In fact, you just got back from a vacation together, right? And they said, yes. And I said, and you've had lots of experiences together over the years. And they said, yes. And I said, and you many ways have integrated in each other's families. I mean, you go to the events and you treat each other's families as, as partly your family. And they said, yes. And I said, you have friends that gather together and you're friends with both groups, right? And they said, yes. And I said, and you're members of different organizations together. I mean, you, you go to a church together, you, you go to several different places together, correct? And they said, yes. And I said, what Tell me how you see that you don't have anything in common, that you don't share anything. The fact is that they had gotten focused on a few things they're not sharing in common. They admitted that they didn't have a a, a hobby that they enjoyed together. They didn't have some activity that they did together. So they focused on that. They admitted that they had incompatibilities in what they wanted out of their physical life. And instead of negotiating that, they just decided they they didn't have that in common. They had different love languages, so they decided that they didn't have that in common. And they got so focused on the struggle that they missed all of the places that they actually did have, not just in common, but intermingled together. And that's the interesting thing. When there's a crisis, we often end up focused on the pieces that divide us. 
We look at the symptoms of one thing, and we look at the, what, the loss that might happen to each person, the self. How is this going to affect me? And the last thing we often look at is the struggle point. So if that's the case, what do we do differently? Well, one of the things I've noticed is that sometimes when people get focused on those three wrong things, what they decide to do is go harder at them. See if they can find an activity together. See if they can convince a spouse to see what they're about to lose as a self. See if they can focus more and more on the symptom. And in the process, they end up further and further into their struggle. If you've ever been rafting, you probably know that as the stream picks up, you have to be a little more cautious. But imagine yourself on the river, you're paddling along, and you suddenly realize that you're headed right for the waterfall. I would just ask if the right thing to do is to paddle harder towards the waterfall, or would it be better to do something different? Because one other solution is to go harder against the waterfall. You turn around and and try to go upstream. Some years ago, I was out on the river that was near us, and it was uh, kind of an earlier day in the paddling season. I had just been mowing the lawn, and we had a fairly new battery-operated mower. And so I got about half the lawn mowed. It was that, you know, that spring, heavy grass. So it was taking a lot more effort to get through. And about halfway through, the battery died. I knew it was going to take several hours to uh, charge the battery back up. And so I told my wife that I was going to grab my paddleboard and head out to the river. Now, one of the reasons that we had thick grass growing so much was because it had been a pretty wet spring. And one of the things that happens when we have a wet spring is that we have a pretty fast-flowing river. And so I stepped down to my paddleboard in a tributary, and I started paddling up towards the river. Right on the corner of that river is a a restaurant that overlooks the river and has this nice bluff that drops down to the riverbanks onto the docks. And as I paddled up, I had failed to notice that since it was a weekend, I was going to be paddling right by so many people who had been waiting for a beautiful day to be out looking at the water and eating their food. And so as I paddled by, I looked over and saw all these people all around the grounds And then I turned into the river. Now, my typical thing is to paddle upriver first, knowing that I'll have less energy coming the other way. And so I'll paddle upriver, and then I'll turn around and kind of have a nice little coast back. And so that day, I kicked out into the uh, river and started paddling upstream. As I was looking down, not wanting to be noticed by anybody up on the banks and not wanting to notice that I was being noticed, I started looking down and I started paddling. And I was so proud of myself because the water was passing by me so fast and I was paddling so well. I was paddling hard and I was feeling pretty good after about 20, 25 minutes of paddling hard to get around the bend from the restaurant when I looked over and realized that I hadn't moved any. In fact, maybe I'd lost a couple of feet. (laughs) I had basically been on a treadmill of the paddle because the downstream was coming so fast that I was not able to go upstream. And I suddenly realized that everybody had been watching me make zero movement during that time. 
I stopped paddling and it immediately started shifting me to going downstream and I paddled back into the tributary and I kind of acted as if, you know, I meant that. You know, it's like I'd gotten on a treadmill and just gotten a little exercise. It's always easier to go downstream. That doesn't make it more effective. Or as Karichi Ome says, rowing harder doesn't help if the boat is headed in the wrong direction. So back to that example of hearing the waterfall. You don't want to paddle towards it, but you're not going to win if you're paddling against the stream. After a while, it's going to win. So you might want to head for safety. You might want to take action that pulls you away from where the stream is taking you instead of fighting it or going with it, which means that we have to change our focus. So what can we focus on? Let me suggest that there are three areas that you can focus that break you out of the crisis mode and get you moving to something that can be healthy, helpful, and healing for your relationship. First thing to recognize is the underlying issue is about connection in the relationship. That is the lifeblood of your relationship. See, when we look at the symptoms, what we're looking at are the symptoms of disconnection. Affairs happen, for the most part, because of disconnection. It leads it vo- leaves the relationship vulnerable. It, it requires also a loss of boundaries. But between the two people, the issue underlying that is disconnection. The same is true for communication. When we're communicating with someone with whom we have a strained connection, we generally don't have the best of communication. We generally get stuck And the last thing, that struggle that comes along. Not only that, but when we're disconnected, we're focused on what's hurting us, where we're hurting. So the way through that is to focus on the underlying issue itself of how do you rebuild the connection? How do you rebuild the connection on a physical level, an emotional level, a spiritual level? Those are the three levels of connection. How do you heal the broken connection between the two of you? Remember that we humans are wired for that connection. It's something that we crave. It's something that we have to have. When it's not there, it leaves us feeling wounded and needy for that connection. So once we start healing that underlying disconnection, when we move towards connection, we find a better place for both people. Now, the second piece is to focus on change, changing yourself, changing how you relate in the relationship. One of the things that is true about all of us as humans is that we grow stagnant over time. If we're not careful, we stop growing in adulthood. It's easy to see kids growing. I mean, there's so much that they have to take on. Every time they step into something new, it's just a vast expanse of newness. And then at some point, you kind of go, okay, I've got this. I've got life. I'm, I'm finished with the change. And I would just suggest that we as humans are built for continuing to grow through our life. Ray Kroc used to say that we're either ripe, we're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. That's only two choices, green and growing or ripe and rotting. So we have a choice there. We can continue to be green and growing, looking for new things, new places for us to grow into. Or we can allow ourselves to decide that we've gotten there, (laughs) that we've arrived somehow. That's true in relationship, and it's true in our personal life, that there's always a place for us to bring in more energy into our own lives 
as we focus more on where do I need to change? Where do I need to find better ways? Remember that many of the ways that we once reacted no longer serve us. We tend to have mental models of how to go through things. And as we start looking at how we go through life, we sometimes recognize that the mental models that we've used in the past, our ways of doing things in the past, are no longer serving us. We just don't take the time to find something better. It's easier to blame something or someone else, like a spouse, than to look and say, how do I need to adapt? How do I need to change my life? How do I need to grow? Which brings us to the last area of focus, and that is creating, creating a new path for your relationship. One of the danger points I see for people is they come to me and they say, you know, I just want to get back to where I was, to where we were, to where our our relationship was a week ago, a month ago, usually more than that, a year ago, five years ago, somewhere prior. And my response is that that's not where people want to go. They need to go to a new place because if you just go back to the place where you were before you hit a crisis, that place is what got you to the crisis. So you have to find a better way, a different path. As I talk about it in my material, it's about becoming a we, something that many people either never got to or never held on to. So the task is to find the new path to something else rather than focusing on those symptoms or focusing on what the self wants or the self is afraid to lose or focusing on the struggle. When we make a shift to working on rebuilding the connection, to changing ourselves and growing into the better person that we need to be, and then creating a new path for our relationship, when we focus on the right place, things fall into place. We start finding ourselves paddling to the safe places as we're rushing downstream, paddling to a place where both people are working together to get to a better place. Now, those elements are important for you to know because you want to step back and ask the question, have you been focused on the wrong things? Have you been focusing on the symptoms of the disconnection in your relationship? Have you been focusing on what you're afraid to lose and trying to pull what you want back into the relationship? Instead of asking the question, what's better for us? What's better for all of us to get together? The last thing that many times that the focus had become that struggle. When we focus on the struggle, you get lost into that struggle. So the question is, if you've been focusing on the wrong thing. And if you have to make a shift to begin to focus on the connection between you and your spouse, of healing that connection, of asking the question, who do I want to become? How do I want to change in my own life? And finally, to look for how you can start creating a new path for your relationship, even if you're the one who is starting down that path before your spouse joins you. Now, that's part of the reason that I created the Save the Marriage system. I realized long ago that that focus was getting people into trouble. And that's always the starting point. If you're ready for that, I'd invite you to come join me at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. But if you're not ready for that, please look at where your focus is and ask the question, am I focused on the right Or the wrong things? Am I focused on the wrong things of symptoms of self and of struggle? Or do I need to focus on something else of connection, of change, and of creating a new path? 
This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.